The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. How are you, friend? I really appreciate you tuning in. I asked a question today on Facebook and Twitter. When I say Coca-Cola or Coke in their marketing, image, branding, and advertising, what immediately pops into your head? Do you feel anything? I got some pretty interesting responses. John Matthews wrote, Ubiquity, familiarity as a Georgia boy. Frank Mack wrote, The red and white logo. My first thought is, I'm glad it's not Pepsi. (laughs) Ryan Battles said, Soda so nice, you gotta gulp ah twice. Ashley Mays, the fizz after you pour it over ice. Tiffany Health Porter, Mexican Coke. It's true, Coca-Cola is definitely an international brand. Andrew Conaway, the sound that happens every time the polar bear opens a glass bottle during Christmas time. Ray Weissman, vanilla. Rodney Noinsky writes, silver and red, ice cold diet. Brent Jones writes, Thanks, Mean Joe, which you'll have to look that up on YouTube. Helen Holden wrote, First, my childhood comes to mind. Grew up drinking Coke, glass bottles from the compartmentalized refrigerator cases during road trip stops, and then polar bear families at Christmas. Michael Pocock wrote, Captain. Catherine R. Edwards, the best Santa ever. Ray Knapp, the color red. Ashley Lane, polar bears. Joseph Duke, red and polar bears. This is definitely the consensus, but then there's Wayne Myers, the old I'd like to teach the world to sing commercials. He says, yes, I'm that old. That was what I was looking for. That was perhaps the most famous commercial of all times. By the way, if you want to listen to my interview with Roger Cook, who wrote I'd like to teach the world to sing, then you can feel free to go back and listen to episode number 155 of this podcast. So why did I ask about Coca-Cola, their marketing, image, and all that? Well, I'm a little late to the party, but I just finished watching the television series Mad Men. Incredible music on that show, and the finale of the series closed with that song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. Back some time ago, someone commented on the Roger Cook interview and said, Mad Men brought them there. At the time, I had no idea what that meant. I say all of this to introduce you to this interview. Karina and I went to the world of Coca-Cola back in 2015. In this interview that we did, Jackie Wansley shared her Coca-Cola story and how she came to be the then group marketing manager for the world of Coca-Cola. It's a really fun, thought-provoking interview And what can you say, when it comes to telling their story and eliciting an emotion, Coca-Cola is doing something right. Jackie Wansley is no exception when it comes to the great Coca-Cola story. She's from Georgia, which is where Coca-Cola originated, and she grew up drinking Coca-Colas in a very distinctive way. You'll have to listen to find out, but for a lot of you people from the South or who are Southern transplants, you probably already know. Let me know what you think of the interview. Today we're meeting Jackie Wansley, 
Group Marketing Manager here at the World of Coca-Cola. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for coming to visit us. I think we should start kind of at the beginning. What is your earliest recollection of Coca-Cola? Wow, that's a good question. I grew up in northeast Georgia, and my grandparents lived just north of Atlanta in a little town called Ackworth, Georgia. Tiny little town, and my grandmother and granddaddy had a garden. And my mother and dad would send my brother and myself, at that time we didn't have the third child, just the two of us would go to stay with my grandmother for a week. And we didn't know it, but we were really just field hands because we would help my grandmother and grandfather bring in corn and green beans and tomatoes and all kinds of things out of their garden. And then my mom would come that second week, and she and my grandmother would freeze and can and preserve everything that we had helped gather that first week. So we were field hands, but my grandfather would reward us with a trip to the little country store that was just down the road from them, and they had this great big ice tub. And they had Coca-Cola and bottles in there. And my grandfather, after we had worked in the fields all the week, he would let us reach in and grab that Coca-Cola. We had peanuts that we would put into it. That's the thing we do down here in the South. We would put those salty peanuts in the Coca-Cola and then turn it up and drink it and pop them off the very bottom of the bottle and try not to knock your front teeth out. So it was quite a feat, but it was a great little reward for our week's worth of hard work, and it was a great memory that I have of my granddaddy, too. What year was this? This was in the, you're asking my age now, aren't you, Karina? In a very <laughs> no. nondescript kind of really. way. It was in the early 70s. Early 70s. Beautiful. Yeah. This is a totally abstract question. If John Pemberton could see the world of Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. what do you think he would say? I think he would be amazed because he was an inventor and a pharmacist. A pharmacist was only one of the things that Mr. Pemberton tried his hand at. But I think he would really be impressed with the number of people around the world who actually now enjoy the product that he invented. And I think that it's something that I'm constantly amazed by when I'm standing around a small group of people during the non-busy periods of our year, like January and February, and to some degree, October and November. When I'm in a small group of people, and our ambassadors will ask where everyone's visiting from, and the number of countries that people are actually coming to visit Atlanta and the world of Coca-Cola from really just never ceases to amaze me. And then across the United States, the variety of lengths of voyage that people have taken to come to Atlanta and to spend some of their time in the city with us here at the World of Coca-Cola, I think is one of the, the greatest tributes that I think Mr. Pemberton would be proud of. Looking back in time, I was just, we just visited the museum and I saw something very interesting about Mr. Candler, mm -hmm. the second owner of mm -hmm. Coca-Cola, about his marketing technique. Right. And I wanted to ask you as a, as a marketing specialist, mm -hmm. what do you think there is to learn from the very early marketing strategies, mm -hmm. what do you think there is to learn and apply today? I think Mr. Candler took the Coca-Cola script that John Pemberton and his bookkeeper, Mr. Robinson, Frank Robinson, had actually designed. He knew not to change that. It was perfect in every way. We've not changed the Coca-Cola script since it was actually originated in 1886. 
So there's something to be said for that longevity and something to be said for that recognized trademark and even the color red. But I think that Mr. Candler was a genius in his way that he used coupons to get people to try his product, one of his products. It wasn't the only, but one of his products, so that if he offered it to you without cost the first time, then you at least knew what it tastes like. So you would come back in, and then you would purchase your own, and you would likely go tell someone else that you had tried it. And I think he was one of those first people to use coupons. And even the placement of the fountain, the soda fountain, in the back of the pharmacy was sheer genius. Because if you put it up in the front, people are going to come in, they're going to get their Coca-Cola, they're going to sit and talk to their neighbors, but they're not going to purchase anything else you have in your pharmacy or in your store. So by making people walk all the way through, it actually probably, in modern times, we call it increasing your sales check if you're in retail. It really would give them the opportunity to find lots of things they needed or wanted before they even got back to the soda fountain to get that free Coca-Cola, and then probably find a few things on their way out as well. So I think that he was a smart businessman, like so many, who actually think through the layout of their stores and the way that they present their products. But I think that he was a terrific guardian for the Coca-Cola brand and really advanced the product exponentially just in the time that he owned the company. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, for you, what's the what's the most challenging thing that you have to deal with regarding marketing strategies? I think it's keeping a current message in all the mediums that have come about and the ways that people gather their information. Because if you think about it, when the original World of Coca-Cola opened in 1990, mm -hmm. the most fascinating bit of technology that most people had in their offices or in their homes was a fax machine. And people now don't even send a percentage of any facts, of any documents through facts. Everything is digital. Everything is shared through social media. So I think keeping our brand, the world of Coca-Cola, as an attraction relevant and making sure that we have information at every touch point that people could possibly want it, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our website, keeping all of those forms of communication up to date with photography and answers to our guest questions. It's, a, it's something we're very pleased to do, but it's a challenge. There are so many exhibits, so many things to see, from the manufacturing to history. There's the taste of the different software from around the world. I really like that. Right. For you, what's the most compelling thing here? What's the most compelling thing? <laughs> that is a great question. I think one of the things I really enjoy is early in the guest's experience here at the World of Coca-Cola in the loft, where you see the wide range of different items that had the Coca-Cola logo on them, whether they were the hip hugger beach pants that are the groovy beach pants from the 70s, or the Coca-Cola Spencerian script that was on our company's headquarters from 1919 to 1979. And to see those dings and imperfections and just think, was that a bird strike? Was it a hailstone? What was it that actually made that? When you stop to think about it, that was on the outside of the corporate headquarters. And down to the tiniest thing, like some of the what we call festoons that they had in the windows of pharmacies and markets in the early days of our company. They were magnificently crafted, beautifully drawn and graphically illustrated portrayals of a circus scene or something that may or may not have anything to do with Coca-Cola, but it would catch people's eyes as they walked past. And somewhere in there you would see that small Coca-Cola script. So just the fact that those were preserved and now are out for our guests from around 
around the world to see is something that I think I take for granted sometimes until yeah. I'm here with guests like you who haven't been here, and I can kind of see what you all react to when the ambassadors in the loft point those things out. I think that's one of the really great things about that. When did you start working for the Coca-Cola Museum? I started working for the Coca-Cola Company the Monday after the Olympics were here in Atlanta, Georgia in 1996. Yes, a long time ago, a long, long time ago. And I've been involved with the world of Coca-Cola in one way or another for the 19 plus years that I've been at Coca-Cola. As a result of your experience working with Coca-Cola and the world of Coca-Cola, what is the greatest thing you've learned, the greatest lesson? The greatest lesson I've learned is something that Sergio Zeman and Don Kehoe and Mr. Roberto Grisueta learned when they introduced New Coke, that this brand does not belong to me. It does not belong to the company. It is everyone who has ever tried a Coke, everyone who's ever been somewhere that Coca-Cola was the sponsor of their Little League baseball team or their high school football scoreboard has the Coca-Cola company logo on there. It's not something that we own. We are the guardians of what has made our brand so relevant and what has made our brand so prevalent around the world, but it does not belong to us. And I think it's remembering that when we have guests come to the world of Coca-Cola and they want to share their stories with them. They want to share their stories of what their earliest memory was. You would ask me about mine, and it was my grandmother and granddad. But I think everybody has some story to share, and it's being patient and accepting the fact that people want to share those stories with us when they come to visit. I think that's one of the, the greatest things that I've learned. I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about the museum. Okay. When was it opened, and how, how did it all start? The world of Coca-Cola actually opened in our original location in 1990 and it was about a half mile from our present location in Pemberton Place. It was right across the street from our state capitol here in Atlanta. And it really opened as a result of people coming to our corporate headquarters on North Avenue or calling and saying, I want to come see some archives of the Coca-Cola company. I have a product, whether it's a syrup urn or a festoon or a soda fountain tray that I think might be worth something and I'd like for someone to come take a look at it. Well, as you can imagine, a corporation can't operate with people coming in and out of their gates, even though this was the 1980s, long before corporate headquarters were as hoistered as they are right now in many cases. But it was really opened as a result of the request that we had for people to come to our corporate headquarters and see the archives. So it opened with the thought that it would probably have about 250 to 300,000 guests a year who would want to visit. We opened in 1990 and when we closed in 2007 to move to our new location, we still had over 700,000 guests a year visiting and that was where our attendance had started to decline because our building was so small. So we had just under a million guests a year coming to visit in our original location. That was in 1990 to 2007. So in May of 2007, we opened here at Pemberton Place, adjacent to Centennial Olympic Park. And the thought was we would have around 800,000 to a million guests a year, and that would be fairly good. We had started at a million, and this year in 2015, we'll have just shy of a million two hundred thousand guests visit us from around the world. So in the attraction industry, that's fairly uncommon to have an attendance 
that just continues to escalate and elevate, which we're very humbled by. We're so pleased. But it's really, I think, even more gratifying to see that since we opened in 1990 at our original location to present day, we've had over 25 million guests who have actually come to visit us. 23 million, I'm the state of 23 million in the 25 years that we've been here in downtown Atlanta. So when you think about all those people making time during their visit to Atlanta to come to the world of Coca-Cola, it's very gratifying and very humbling. We sit in downtown Atlanta, just north of Centennial Olympic Park, as part of a 22-acre tract of land that the Coca-Cola company owns. When the 1996 Olympic Games were coming to Atlanta, the company wanted to have something that could serve as sort of like a come try it here type experience that our guests could have in downtown Atlanta. Everyone can't be an Olympic athlete, but we wanted to have something that people could actually do. So Coca-Cola Olympic City was here, and we had rowing machines that people could come and actually try out some of that. We had basketball players and basketball courts where people could have some fun as well. So then the 1996 Olympic Games came and left, and the company owned all of this land, and we were looking for the best and highest use. At about the same time, Mr. Bertie Marcus, who was one of the founders of Home Depot, wanted to build an aquarium in downtown Atlanta, but he didn't have a home for the building. So he spoke to the gentleman who was then the CEO of the Coca-Cola Company. They had a discussion, and the Coca-Cola Company actually gave the Georgia Aquarium the nine acres on which they built, with the understanding that we would then move the world of Coca-Cola to our present location, which we did. A couple of years ago, we actually gave two acres of land to the Center for Civil and Human Rights, on which they opened. So at this point, our 22-acre plot has the Georgia Aquarium, the world of Coca-Cola, and the Center for Civil and Human Rights, and still has about four to five acres of green space in between us. That is a great area for people to come and have picnics, just relax, just sort of lie back before or after they come to visit us, or when they're just downtown walking between all the great attractions that we have now. Just south of us, we have Centennial Olympic Park, and at the end of the south end of the park, there is Inside CNN Studio Tours, and just west of that location is the College Football Hall of Fame. So we have five terrific attractions for people to visit when they come to downtown Atlanta. Easy walking distance, so it's a very green solution as well. Something else we're very proud of, the Coca-Cola Company's first green building in our company was the World of Coca-Cola. We have gold lead certification when we opened in 2007 because of the way in which the building was designed and built and in which we operate to. What do you think is unique about Coca-Cola? What do you think it's become the most popular beverage in the world? Probably after coffee or right? water. <laughs> I think it's something that's accessible. Mm -hmm. It's in most areas of the world, most economies, it's not overly expensive. I think it's accessible to just about everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's a part of those times where you're having fun with your friends and family, either around the holidays or during the summer at the beach or if you're at a baseball game, if you're a football game, soccer match. It's generally a part of some of those times, so we get the benefit of being part of those good memories, and I think that that sort of halo carries over to Coca-Cola, so that we were all there together. So I think that people place a value on those memories, and we have the benefit of being a part of those great times. I thought of a question. What's that? Okay. The welcome video. They said, don't take any pictures, don't uh -huh. film it, don't right. record it, because we want this to be just for you. Uh -huh. Tell us the truth. Did you get misty-eyed the first time you saw it? I get misty-eyed multiple times when I still see it. It is, I think it is a terrific piece of 
filmmaking. I had nothing to do with it, so I can tell you that without um, reservation. I think that it touches on those memories that we have. There are a number of things that are very common. It's babies laughing, little kids taking a bath. You know, those simple moments of pleasure that you have with your friends and your family. And as you probably saw in there, Coca-Cola is not prominently placed within that film. It is at the end because we want you to have a great time at our home because you've welcomed us into your home, now welcome to ours at the World of Coca-Cola. But I think it's that common thread that weaves through all of our lives, regardless of where you grew up, where you live, where you're visiting, what your station in life is. There are just certain things that all of us share that I think that film kind of points out. It's a little boy and a little girl trying to come together in a very awkward way. The young man makes his best attempt at putting best face forward. And then, I won't give away everything, but some of the other stories, I think, have some great elements. Weddings, family reunions, I think, that are very common to all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Pop, pop, doodly, zing, bang, doodly, knock, cock, cheep, da, boo. Bibbidi, pot, a cut, a gee, da, po, pop, bed, a lack, a teen. Oh, get a gig, madam, da, 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 da,